the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, yesterday we started meditating on the Paschal Doxology. And we said that we pray this Doxology 696 times throughout the whole week of Pesca, right? And if you actually look at the actual phrase, Thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the majesty forever, Amen. It's found three times in each one of those doxologies. So, you do the math, 2,088 times that we say this phrase, which is astounding. This is the whole theme of Holy Pascha, this Paschal doxology. And so we spoke about the power of Christ, the power of God in His passions, in the cross, okay? And how there's a paradox here. And it seems like Christ is weak, but in reality, this is the real manifestation of strength. Whenever he's arrested, instead of saying, you know, I can send down 12 legions of angels to come and destroy everyone to wipe out this whole place, he just surrenders. And it seems weak, but in reality, this is the source of all strength and the source of all power. Continuing our meditation on this doxology, thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the majesty. I want to combine the glory and the majesty as the same theme, which will be what we'll meditate on today. Okay, so we got to ask ourselves, how is there glory and majesty in this week? How is there glory in the sufferings of Christ? How is there any majesty whenever Christ is humiliated on the cross? doesn't make any sense. Just like we said yesterday, it doesn't make any sense to say that there is strength and power in His suffering. Right? But we'll see as we meditate on this description that in reality, this is the very essence of the glory and the majesty of Christ. Christ chose a humble path from the very start of His ministry on earth. In his incarnation, he decided to go from here to here, okay? And he set aside the glory that he had in heaven. We say that he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Of his glory, of that majesty. He remained God. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. But he came as God, yet without the glory that is due to God, right? He's born in a manger, it's hidden, there's nothing spectacular about his incarnation, and the whole path that he walks is a secret path, a path of hidden glory. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He didn't have the dignity and the respect that a human being should have. You see how he was treated throughout this whole week. We treat our pets better than the way Christ was treated. At least I treat my pet better. (laughs) Mello gets all-star treatment at our house. But Christ was humiliated. The creator, the one that is seated upon the throne of his glory, who is worshipped by the angelic hosts, was despised, and didn't even have the dignity that a human being would deserve. To the extent that his whole life was valued by 30 pieces of silver. That's it. The creator of all. 
the king of glory worth just a few bucks so again where is the majesty here we're repeating this over and over and over and over again to you belongs the glory the majesty thine is the glory and the majesty over and over and over again unless we really believe that in his humiliation and his poverty and his suffering that there is real glory and majesty then we're just uttering these words in vain okay now we do anticipate a future glory right christ entered into his glory through the cross but that's not the only place that we find christ glorified we're talking about the crucifixion itself pope shruta says that our glory cannot be separated from the cross itself because a lot of times we say the cross is the path to glory after the cross there is the resurrection and then we experience glory but that's a terrible way to look at it and we stressed this concept yesterday the cross is not the road to glory but the cross is the road of glory there's a huge distinction right there okay the cross is not the road to majesty it's not the road towards majesty but it's the road of majesty in it itself is hidden glory and majesty okay so i don't want us to think of glory and majesty as something that just comes after we suffer and a lot of times we say oh just endure this 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 and then will come the joy and the glory and the majesty but we find joy glory honor and majesty in this week itself and we'll meditate more on this and see how that's the actual reality we think of glory and majesty in our day and age as something that belongs to a prestigious position right we don't have kings now but someone who's rich someone who's wealthy like a ceo someone who has a lot of money a big wallet that's what we think of the highest respectable position or an athlete like lebron so everybody glorifies lebron or if you're not a lebron fan then kobe may the lord repose his soul but how many people worship those athletes right we think of glory and majesty in that earthly way in our day and age now but there's a different glory and majesty when it comes to the christian path glory and majesty in christianity are hidden there is a secret aspect to glory and majesty and by definition it must be hidden otherwise it's fake it's superficial it's just a show right and christ always refused to make a show out of his divinity or out of his power out of his majesty whenever they asked him to show them a sign he says an adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given it i'm not here to be a magician to show off right he just pointed them to his death he said the sign that you're looking for is jonah just as jonah was in the belly of the whale for 3 days that sign you're going to find in me he was born as a king but who saw that 
Who saw the glorious incarnation? No one. Who saw the transfiguration? No one. Just like a handful of people. Who saw the actual resurrection? No one. Relatively speaking, of course, yes, Mary and Joseph were at the Nativity and the Magi were there. Yes, Peter, James, and John were at the Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah showed up too. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's nothing. The public spectacle was the humiliation, right? The cross. That's what was made public. The glory of Christ was always hidden. And that's the irony, that's the paradox here. If we want to define glory and majesty the right way, we have to find it defined in the heart. We have to find it in that secret place. And again, this is the opposite of what the world says. Right? Everything about glory and majesty in the world is superficial. We seek glory and majesty from the approval of others. It's other people that glorify us. It's that visible glorification or honor. Right? Whenever somebody sees your success, and they honor you for that. But the heavenly glory is internal. Okay? It's hidden. And that's why we see the people that are absent from the world experience the most glory and majesty. It's the monastics. It's the people that hide their talents while serving in church. But you don't see them. Unlike me, I'm up here preaching and I'm in the spotlight. But the real glory and the majesty is in the people that serve without notice. It's hidden. It's an internal condition because it's something that God translates to us deep within our heart. And so it's not dependent on what other people say. So real glory and majesty is not dependent on the praise from others. Why? Because it's an internal condition of the heart. It's something that God gives each one of us deep down within. We are honored by God whenever we're walking on His path. And so we experience the peace and the honor and the dignity that God wants to give each and every single one of us. So we live in glory and majesty. It's not something that we just experience on a whim. It's not something that the world gives us whenever we're satisfying the world or whenever we're succeeding, whenever we're advancing in our careers. But Christian glory, Christian majesty, the glory and the majesty of Christ is found in a stable condition. It's not this fleeting, transient sort of honor and respect that we see in the world. The world is all about like cancel culture. <laughs> like you're, you're on society's good side, they'll praise you. You step out of line, next thing you know, you're out. <laughs> but that's not the way it is with God. Christ identified his glory and his majesty in his status as the son of God. And so nothing could diminish that. That's why I'm telling you, glory and majesty 
is not this transient sort of emotion. Okay? It doesn't fluctuate. Christ was just as much as the Son of God while he was transfigured as he was on the cross. The humiliation, the mockery, the abuse did not diminish his status as the Son of God. Right? So it's this internal condition. It doesn't fluctuate so long as we are on the path that Christ set for us to walk. Christ never sought glory for himself because he identified as the Son of God, because he knew his identity. And as a matter of fact, he would always flee from glory. What happened right after he fed the multitude? They were like, great. You know, he's feeding us. We've got to make him a king. In John six fifteen, it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Always fleeing from glory. The king of glory was fleeing from glory. And what about me and you? And how we always seek validation and honor and respect. And if we don't find it, we're bent out of shape. Why? Because we're not satisfied with the internal glory and majesty, the real internal glory and majesty that God wants to share with all of us. And trust me, if we are in Christ, we are co-heirs with Christ. An heir is the one who inherits all that belongs to his father. We inherit the wealth of that inheritance. Okay? Everything about Christ was pointing to the father. All his desires were just to glorify the father. Even in the prayer at Gethsemane, he starts out by saying, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. All right, so you might think about these words and say, what do you mean, glorify your son? Okay, he's asking for glory. (laughs) Glorify your son, he's the son. He's asking the father to glorify him. But look at it a little closer. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So that when Christ is on the cross and he is glorified, what's that going to do to the people? It's going to direct their mind to the Father. And that's his ultimate objective. So when others see the love of God the Father in him, humanity will be moved by that love. So his objective was what? Reveal your glory through me for your sake. I want you to be glorified. So during this crucifixion, I pray that they see that glory in me so that ultimately, humanity may be reconciled to you and share in that majesty and that glory. And the paradox is that when he was rejected, when he was humiliated, that's whenever even the blind, even the people who were crucifying him, got a glimpse of that real majesty, of that real glory. And the one who was crucifying him confessed, this is the Son of God. 
Nobody said that. Throughout the whole passion, not even his disciples, Peter was denying him. His disciples all fled. Yes, John was walking along, but a lot of the scholars say because he had a foot in the door with all of the upper class, not to take away anything from John, but nobody says this is the Son of God except the centurion, the one who witnessed the most ironic majesty, the most ironic glory. All he saw was humiliation. All he saw was somebody stripped of his dignity. He said, wow, there's something majestic here. This must be the Son of God. So it was in his humiliation that he was glorified. We got to establish that as a fact. In his humiliation, he is glorified. Okay, so when we accept humiliations rather than seeking worldly glory, we're not only exalted by God, but we become the very same type of healing that Christ offers to the world. We participate in His work. Not only are we exalted, but we participate in His salvific work. We become a salvation to others. Right? Just as a charitable king who sits on his throne of glory, who sits on his majestic throne, doesn't just dictate, but arranges the affairs of his people to provide for the needy, to give food, to give shelter. He actually becomes a source of provisions for others. We share in that very same power, in that very same glory whenever we walk in that same path. So this is how we can participate in the glory and the majesty of Christ. Okay? But we got to buy into the fact that majesty and glory are this hidden reality. Okay? And it comes by walking the same path of humiliation. It comes by turning away from the glory and the majesty of this world, just like Christ did. And if we're seeking the validation of the world, the honor of the world, the respect of people, we're seeking to get a hundred likes on our post and all these views or this or that, then not only will we fail to find satisfaction in the world, but we'll miss the real glory and majesty that Christ wants to give us. When Christ spoke to his disciples about how they would glorify him, he spoke of their sacrifice and their suffering. Okay? He didn't say, you're going to glorify me whenever you're performing miracles, when you're healing the sick, when you're casting out demons, whenever you're raising the dead. No, no, no. You'll glorify me when you're suffering in your own sacrifice. This is what Christ spoke to Peter saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and you walked where you would. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And trust me, Peter did a whole lot. Right? In the fraction we say how the handkerchief of St. Paul 
and the shadow of Peter were casting out demons and healing the sick. Christ didn't talk about the grace that will come from the shadow of St. Peter. He spoke about his death, his suffering. And you know what type of death St. Peter experienced. He said, I don't even deserve to be crucified the same way that my Lord was crucified. And so he was crucified upside down. I don't deserve the glory of that humiliation. Give me a different type of death. I don't deserve that. And so Christ glorified him. Now, if we suffer with him, we are glorified with him. This is what St. Paul tells us in Romans 8.17. If we suffer with him, we are glorified. If we don't suffer with him, then we are not glorified with him. And yes, the glory will come in the future age, in the eternal life in heaven, but it's here and now as well. I don't want you to think of enduring until the storm passes and then finally I experience the glory and the majesty and the joy and so on. We find glory in the suffering. We find majesty in this hidden way because this is when we find Christ face to face. Just like St. Simon of Cyrene met Christ face to face. He saw the King of glory as he was carrying the cross. No one else had that grace. Not even his own mother. It just blows me away. It was the one who participated in that shame. And he was reluctant at first. He said, I'm an innocent man. I have nothing to do with this Jew that's convicted of all these crimes. But because God granted him that grace, he followed along. And yes, he was humiliated, guilty by association. You see this other man carrying the cross as well, not knowing that there was a hidden glory that he experienced. The more we're humiliated, the more we are glorified. That's a promise from God. It's not a promise I'm making you. That's a promise from God himself. And so, this is why suffering and sacrifice was always a source of joy for the disciples. Pope Shunudah says, the Apostle St. Paul therefore said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. It's in 2 Corinthians 12.10. And after having been scourged, the fathers, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were rejoicing. I don't know about you, but when I'm humiliated, when I suffer shame, I don't think the same way. And I think the problem is I don't really understand real glory and majesty. If I understood what real glory and majesty is, I'll appreciate the grace of suffering with Christ. Suffering with Christ, with Christ is a grace. It's a privilege it's something that I am not worthy of. And this is what Mother Teresa said in one of her interviews. Whenever she was talking about healing and serving and 
she was saying, like, this is something that we do for the sick and they need help and so on. The guy's asking her, like, well, you know, how come you're not suffering too? She's like, well, you know, I'm just doing my part and I'm trying to help and I'm extending a lending hand, a helping hand. But you're not suffering. Why are you not suffering? And she finally said, because I'm not worthy. She understood real glory. And because she understood that glory, she said, I'm not worthy of it. That's the glory that belongs to Christ. I'm nothing. St. Isaac the Syrian says, Flee vain glory, and you will be glorified. Fear pride, and you will be magnified. How many of us fear pride? That's a strong way to put it. Like, we fear pride. Like, do you fear the thought of seeking the praise of men? That's how we should put it. Because it's suicidal to seek vainglory and honor from men. It's suicidal. It's a demonic trap. So we should fear that trap. We should fear our pride. Because that's the only thing standing in our way from experiencing the grace and the glory and the majesty of Christ. When we flee from glory, we find access to heaven. Okay? Think about Saint Stephen when he was martyred. Interestingly, while he was getting stoned, Pope Shunita says, Saint Stephen, at the time of his martyrdom, saw the heavens opened and saw the glory of God. What joy he had at that time. At the time of his martyrdom, he saw the heavens open. And we can say, okay, he saw a glimpse of heaven after his martyrdom. After the suffering, he enters into heaven and voila, it's over, I experienced the joy of heaven. No, during that time. And the crazy part is that he saw Christ standing in front of the throne. Why? Because he was eager to receive his son. He was concerned. Like the king gets off the throne. Something important is happening. You know, the king doesn't just get up for no reason. If he wants a drink of water, a cup of wine, he just snaps his fingers, right? His servants come and get No, he got up. He was concerned. And that's what St. Stephen saw. But we have to flee from that vain glory. We have to flee from the honor and the respect of this world. St. Arabia says, Obedience is amongst honor. He who has acquired obedience will incline God's ear to hear him and will stand before the crucified, the God of glory, intimately because it was through his obedience to his father that he was crucified for our sake. This is the honor of the monks, this obedience, whenever we just submit to God, when we're not seeking our own will, when we're not seeking the honor of men. And through this path, he says what? It will incline God's ear towards those 
who humble themselves. It opens the gates of heaven, just as the gates of heaven were opened for Saint Stephen. Saint Isaac says, it's better to be clothed in humility than in purple. And we know purple is the robe of a king, right? You know, think of a majestic robe or any sort of wealthy possession. A Tesla, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe something better, uh, a Lamborghini or something expensive. You could have all of the glory and all of the possessions and all of the money. Your stock account can be going through the roof. But he says it's better to have humility than all of that. Why? Because the glory that comes from God is far more significant than anything else in this world. And this is what this week is all about. The path of experiencing the most beautiful glory from God. Right? But we got to believe that this is what glory is all about. This is what majesty is all about. If we don't believe that, then we're saying thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the majesty for no reason. In Luke chapter 152, St. Mary is saying this praise, and she says, He has put down the Almighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. Right? So, the irony here is St. Mary, this lowly girl, who had nothing special about her. She was just a servant in the temple. Right? Not seeking any credit or honor or praise from anyone. Received the highest praise, the highest honor, the highest glory out of any human being. So true heavenly glory isn't pointing to God. And so she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let your will be done. My life is still all about you. If I hear that sort of news, <laughs> I'm going to be bragging to the whole world about it. I'm going to post about it. I'm going to Snapchat about it. I'm going to tweet about it. I'm going to give a whole sermon about it. But the saintly life is to walk this hidden path. And the scripture says that she pondered all these things in her heart. Right? She pondered all these things in her heart. Because glory to her was internal. Glory and majesty were an internal condition of the heart for St. Mary. When we think of glory and majesty, we think of wealth. But glory and majesty is not in wealth. It's not in riches. But it's in poverty. We look at a homeless guy on the street. How many of us would think this is real glory? This is real majesty? No one. I'm going to bring your attention to a couple of examples. When was the widow that gave these two mites as her tithes honored? Was it after she won the lottery and God restored her wealth? 
No. It was during that sacrifice. Like the poorest was even poorer. <laughs> and that's precisely when she was glorified. That's when Christ pointed to her. And he said, this is the real deal right here. He glorified her. He honored her. Think of the woman who poured ointment on Christ. And this expensive spikenard that the disciples were saying, this is worth 300 denarii. When was she glorified? During the sacrifice. And Christ pointed to her and she, he said, she has done this for my burial. And from now on, what she has done will serve as a memorial for her. And so if we are to really buy into the real definition of glory and majesty, not the world's definition, but God's definition, then we ourselves will pursue it. We will seek it. We will praise God for the glory and the majesty that he has revealed to us, and we will submit to the very same path that we may be glorified and share in the glory of Christ. Unto him is due all glory and majesty forever. Amen.